Our reading today comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. These are God's words for us today. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Josh Habman. I am the executive pastor at Grace Community Church. And this morning's message is entitled, Stop Suffering in Silence. We chose this image of a giant wave crashing over a pier because we thought it was representative of the sort of feeling that lots of us have when we are suffering. We can imagine ourselves standing on a pier. We can imagine ourselves about to be swept away by a giant wave. That doesn't take a whole lot of work because a lot of us suffer even now, today. A lot of us are suffering with secret pain that we have not shared with the people that are sitting next to us. And I'm not talking about the people you had to sit next to, right, because we told you to move in. I'm talking about the people you chose to sit next to. I'm talking about your family members. There are pains that you bear that you don't want to share with your spouses, with your children, with the people that are closest to you because you don't want to be a burden. Because we have in our culture, in America, in the Midwest especially, we have in our culture a bad relationship with suffering. So we're going to talk about suffering this week and next week and also a little bit on Easter. So we're going to spend some time in the Psalms because we think it's important for all of us to be on the same page, to be understanding what is it that God tells us when this is our reality? What is his word of truth for us when we are suffering? So we want you to have hope amidst that suffering. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like. But I said we have a bad relationship with suffering, and that goes back for many of us to our parents and to our grandparents. How many of you have had grandparents or family members that you were afraid to suffer around because of the way they would treat you? You didn't want them to look at you with condemnation. You didn't want them to look at you and think that poor, weak person just because you were suffering. And we do this lightly sometimes. Sometimes we do things, we say things to kids, right? Like, oh, just, just uh, put some, rub some dirt in that wound and it'll be better, right? Or you hear uh, when people injure themselves on sports fields, you hear things like, walk it off, right? When it's like a broken arm. Just walk it off. It'll be fine. You can sleep when you're dead. Don't worry about resting. You'll be fine. We minimize suffering in our culture, especially in this culture. Maybe you're from a culture where that's not the case, but if you've lived here for any amount of time, you know that we do not like to share our suffering. We would prefer to suffer in silence, and that's a bad relationship with suffering. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about why it's wrong to suffer in silence, why we need to stop suffering in silence. We're going to talk about it because at some point, all of us are going to cry out, as David does in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
And this is not a cry, an appeal to God, Lord, listen to me. This cry specifically that starts Psalm 13, this is a cry of desperation. This is a cry that's not even necessarily to God, but it's an accusation of God. It's accusing God. It's saying, God, why do you keep forgetting me? All of us will end up here at some point if we continue to suffer in silence. Why do we have suffering? Why is there pain in this world? Most of you know the story in Genesis chapter 3. You know that God made Adam and Eve very good. You know that the creation was without sin. You know that uh, Adam and Eve were in right relationship with God and with all of nature and with each other and that they had harmony, they had peace, they had no suffering. And then they chose, they chose to abandon God, to reject him, to hold him at arm's length and to say, I am better. I know better for me than you do, God. Yeah, God, I know you made me, but I know better than you do. That was their choice. And we know that the consequence of their choice and of our choice is sin and death. But the story in Genesis 3 doesn't include some of the descriptive language that we feel actually gets at what our experience is like. So I'm going to point you also to Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah 24 describes the curse on our world in this way. It says, the earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. And I think Isaiah calls out the highest people of the earth here because all of us hold on to the hope that if we just got a little bit more money, if we just had a little bit better job or a little better home, if the people around us were a little bit nicer or a little bit wealthier themselves, then we would be fine. But Isaiah says, no, even the highest people, and if we look, if we're honest, and we look at the people who run our world today, the highest people of the world, they're languishing. They're hopeless. Their money has not saved them. So even the highest people of the earth languish and the earth itself, the the dirt, the ground lies defiled under its inhabitants for they, that's us, they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. This is what is true of us and therefore a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched and few men are left. This is our reality. This is what it means to be suffering. We know why we're suffering. Scripture is clear. We've chosen to reject God, but this is what it looks like. It means the hope that this world offers, things like earning your way out, getting a better job, getting a higher status, all of those things amount to nothing. That's what the curse means. The curse means that we will continue to suffer and we will choose to suffer in silence because we think that's the better way. We think somehow that by not being a burden to other people, that we're being kind to them. And that's a lie. Not only are we not being kind to others, we are destroying ourselves. We are pushing back on salvation. I'm going to talk to you about that here in a second, about how, in effect, we have two choices when facing suffering. One is to give in to it, and that amounts to pushing back on our Savior. And the other is to be faithful amidst it. And God wants to use that. So two choices, that doesn't sound like many. A lot of you would prefer choice. Some of you are paralyzed by choice. I know because my wife is one of them. She'll tell you 
right? She has choice fatigue sometimes. You give her three choices and she's done. She needs a nap. It's true, right? You only get two when it comes to suffering. So it shouldn't be any fatigue here. Are you going to give in to it? Are you going to hold God like, like Adam and Eve did at the fall and say, no, I'm going to push back. I think I know a better way. Or are you going to live in faithfulness? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see your word this morning for what it is, to see your love for what it is. Lord, you don't want us to suffer in silence. You came to earth to show us how to suffer, how to endure the sin and how to endure the death and how to have hope and life everlasting. I pray that we would see that hope for what it is today. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, I told you that we have this temptation to suffer silently, that we have a bad relationship with suffering. In Psalm 13, 2, it looks like this. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is the temptation. What David says here in Psalm 13, this is how our mind works. We think, I'm suffering. How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long must I internalize that suffering all day long and just watch my enemies triumph over me? That's the approach that we take to suffering. David just outlines it here for us, right here. He says, this is what you all do. This is what I, this is what I do, David says. I take counsel in my own soul. I don't share with my neighbors. I don't talk to my friends and family members. I don't talk to the men and women God has given me to lead me in this life. Instead, I just internalize it. I suffer in silence. This is what we do. And that temptation, it comes naturally. When we are already suffering, when you are broken down, when you have pain in your life for a variety of reasons, the body starts to take over. There are natural things that happen as a consequence of that. One of them is that your body starts to physically withdraw, right? You have seen this uh, in people who are being physically attacked. They try to protect themselves, right? They cower, they draw in. And we do this as a response to suffering. It's a natural sort of response. It's a temptation though, when it goes too far. Instead of just protecting ourselves, then we are closing ourselves off. So it's a physical response. It's also a mental response. The more inputs that we get when we're suffering, the greater the temptation to just shut down, stop processing altogether. Another natural reaction, but one that ultimately can be uh, exploited, that the enemy can use to tempt us into shutting other people out and shutting our Savior out. And then finally, there is this emotional response to hardship, which is just to stop feeling altogether. But the thing is, we can't stop feeling altogether. That's impossible. We will always continue to feel. We might be able to delay. We might be able to defer or push it off for a little while, but we can't do that forever. And so those feelings will keep breaking in. And so these temptations that might be natural physical responses ultimately are going to harm us. And they might harm us even quicker uh, depending on the situation. So this is what's going to happen if you're suffering. You're going to have these temptations and it's going to feel natural. Like I just need to withdraw. I just need to shut down, shut people out. But it's not what God has planned for you. It's not his desire for you. Because here's what happens. The consequence of giving in that way is that you're going to reject salvation. And I don't mean, and don't hear me say, 
that you can do something to erase Christ's work. Okay? Jesus died for your sins. This is true. Jesus died and was raised again, and you cannot do anything. You cannot do anything to destroy that work. But what you can do is you can say, yeah, Lord, I know about that, and I'm just going to keep you over here. I, just, I, want to, I want you to stay away from me because my suffering, it's more important than your suffering, and it's more important than these other people's suffering. I just need to, I just need to handle it inside. That's the consequence. It means withdrawing and separating from Christ himself. He wants to take your suffering. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Everybody who is suffering, come to me. But when we suffer in silence, we essentially say, no, Jesus, I'm not coming to you. I'm going to keep this one for myself. So that is a consequence. And another consequence is that it separates us from the body of Christ. If you are at home, if you are never going to participate like this here in the body, it is impossible for other members of the body to know what your suffering is. And you know that. Sometimes you intentionally choose not to come to church. Because why? I don't want to deal with people. Right? Because people might see that you're suffering. And sometimes it's because you don't want to be a burden to them. But sometimes it's because you don't want to be healed. You would prefer to hang on to the suffering. And that also is wrong. We'll talk about that in a minute. Shutting down is going to separate us from Jesus and from his body and from healing. And when I say ignoring our feelings separates us from healing, again, don't hear me say that just follow your heart. The heart is deceitful. Okay, but your feelings are still important. They still tell you what is going on in your soul. They are still a manifestation of what's going on inside of you. So your feelings should not be ignored. And when you shut down and when you suffer in silence, that's what you're trying to do is ignore those feelings. And that will make it impossible for you to heal. So don't do this. Stop suffering in silence. Psalm 13.3 says this, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David knows where it goes when he only takes counsel in his soul all day long. He knows where it goes when he feels like his enemies are triumphing over him, when it feels like everybody is attacking him and winning. He knows that it results in him sleeping the sleep of death and his enemies saying, I've prevailed over him and his foes rejoicing because he's shaken. He knows that. And you should know it too. That is the consequence. If you push back and say, Lord, I'm going to hold you at arm's length. I'm going to keep you away from me. I'm going to keep my distance from you because I want to suffer in silence. That's what you're asking for. That's the consequence. So we need to cry out to the Lord. We need to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. And we need to do it amidst the congregation because this is the gift that he's given us. All of you, everybody here, you are the hands and feet. You are the body of Christ. He has given us, all of us, each other, and he has given us himself. So we need to cry out to the Lord. I know the temptation is going to be to isolate yourself. There's a reason that Proverbs 18.1 was written. Proverbs 18.1, it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, but he breaks out against all sound judgment. When we suffer in silence, we're isolating ourselves for any number of reasons, but it's foolishness. 
It's moral foolishness. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about foolishness and wisdom. And what it's actually talking about when it says foolishness is moral foolishness, choosing the wrong path, choosing the path that leads to destruction. And it says elsewhere in Proverbs, the path that leads to destruction is the one that seems right to us. When we take counsel in our souls, when we suffer in silence and we think, what's the best way forward? It's the path that leads to death when we choose it for ourselves. So don't do that. Don't isolate yourself. Other translations, this is the ESV, but other translations say the unfriendly person, right? When they say isolates oneself, they're talking about unfriendly people who are pushing back against friends even, right? They're isolating themselves. So don't be a fool because even if you manage, even if you manage to uh, get out of this internal suffering, maybe you've got a mental or or a physical uh, disability that causes you to suffer, and other people don't see it, it's something that you can hide, even if you manage to gain victory over that, the truth is you also have enemies. And it's not flesh and blood. The Bible is very clear. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. But we do have enemies, and we cannot save ourselves. Our enemies are the powers in this world who are opposed to God, spiritual forces in this world who are opposed to God. And they are powerful, and they do want to destroy us, And so we do need salvation. I'm going to turn to Psalm 62. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 62 as well. And I'm going to read it. It's not that long. The reason I'm reading Psalm 62 is because it is clear from this psalm where our hope lies, where there is hope for us to stop suffering in silence. Psalm 62 says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only, not him plus me, not him plus anything, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan, our enemies only plan to thrust us down from our high position They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. That's what our enemies do. So for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I told you that we need to cry out to the Lord. Psalm 62 is very clear that God alone is our salvation. God alone is our rock. And verse 8 is very clear. It says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. That's not suffering in silence. That's sharing with your Savior what it is that burdens you. Verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Psalm 62 is clear. We have enemies. We cannot save ourselves. God is our salvation. He has provided everything that we need 
So stop suffering in silence. There are things in your heart right now that you don't want to share with the people that are supposed to be closest to you because you don't want to burden them. Stop it. That's my father voice. Did you hear it? I can be louder if I need to. (laughs) Knock it off. Stop suffering in silence. This is what God has called you to, to pour out your heart to him. Consider again what David says here. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That cry, it's not, it's not just accusatory. We can read it that way because it's not just that because it turns. Look how David turns it here. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. That one little word, lest, unless, it means that David is trusting God to provide salvation here. He's saying, here's what will happen if you don't. If you don't do this, Lord, if it's not for you, what's going to happen is that I'm going to die and my enemies are going to rejoice over me. That's the consequence. David knows it. And so he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And what David is saying here is that I will sing in the midst of the congregation. We know that because these psalms were written to be sung with all of the people. There are people who still sing these psalms in this way. They cry out to God together in this way. They tell each other about their suffering in this way. They use this psalm, in fact. So stop suffering in silence. God enables us to cry out in the midst of the congregation. He has given us each other as a gift. That's why we're here. We did not come here this morning to hear someone gifted in speaking. I know because I'm the speaker. We did not come here this morning to just drink coffee and hear people sing songs. We came here to be the body of Christ. The church, that word church, it means called out. It means the people who have been called out by God according to his purpose. That's why you're here, to do something with your salvation. And the something he wants you to do is love each other. So he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And what David is talking about, what he's singing about, is this gift, all of you. He's saying, the men and the women and the children that God has put into my life, that's bounty, that's blessing for me from God. The body of Christ is for my blessing, and I'm going to sing with all of you about that blessing. I'm going to praise God for it. The Lord has given us specifically friends and family members. I'm not going to turn, but if you want the reference, it's Ruth 1, uh, 19 through 22, where Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, has lost her husband and she's lost her two sons and now she's left with one daughter-in-law. And that daughter-in-law suffers alongside of her. They share in each other's suffering. Go back to Ruth and read that story. Naomi goes so far as to tell her community, stop calling me Naomi. Stop using that name. That name means that God has given me blessing. And she says, start calling me Marak. Call me this other name. Because that that name means the Lord has brought calamity into my life. 
So suffer with me, community. Know that this suffering is going on. So she shares with her friends and family members. It's a picture of what we're supposed to do when we suffer. Don't suffer in silence. Share it. You say about that? I mean, that doesn't sound like a good Midwestern person, right? I can't let people know that I have needs. What are they going to think of me? They're going to think that you have needs, that you're a human, that you're suffering. That's what you're going to tell them. And you're going to show them by how you care for one another that that's God's intention. He gives us family and friends. He gives us leaders. And yes, I mean pastors and I mean elders, but not just pastors and elders. He gives us uh, parents in the faith, men and women who have led us and taught us the scriptures, uh, who have prayed for us and with us. He gives us all kinds of people in our lives who can guide and direct us. And this reference, 1 Samuel, this is about a woman, Hannah, who is praying to God desperately because she wants a child, because uh, she doesn't have any children, and she, she feels that burden in her heart. And so she's praying, and Eli, who is the leader, sees that prayer. And at first he assumes that she's drunk because she's praying so fervently and her lips are moving and no sound is coming out. He thinks, oh, there's something going on with this woman, right? But she explains the situation to him and then he knows and he is able to give her a word from the Lord that's necessary for her. It's the Holy Spirit working through this leader in her life. This is a blessing that God gives all of us when we stop suffering in silence, when we share our burden with the men and women God has called to lead us in this life he is able to speak through them. Our brothers, our sisters, our leaders, all of these people are given to us so that we don't have to suffer in silence. And like I said, the whole body of Christ is implicated here. Okay, So yes, the people close to you, your actual friends, your actual family, but also the whole body of Christ. I'm going to turn over to 1 John. I am going to read uh, from 1 John 4 here if you have your Bible. Please feel free to turn with me. In 1 John chapter 4, John is going to describe what sort of interactions the body of Christ is supposed to have. What is it supposed to look like? So let's look at that a minute. Starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is what love is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like Jesus coming into the world, giving his life for us, dying for our sins. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and in his, love, his love is perfected in us. So this is what love is supposed to look like. Jesus coming to save us. And people can't see God, but they can see Jesus. They can't see God the Father, but they can see Jesus. And they can see us living like Jesus, following after him, loving the way he loved. And John goes on here. Um, he says, uh, starting in verse uh, 18, that there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, um, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is how we're supposed to stop suffering in silence. And we struggle all the time with this. We say things like, I'm fine, right? We say things like, I'm living the dream, right? When people ask how we're doing. Maybe you've seen, uh, there's some internet memes, right? That say, if somebody says they're living the dream, that means they're dead inside, right? That's the Midwest code for, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm not going to tell you about it. We have all kinds of code words, all kinds of ways of telling people that we're doing just fine when we're really not. And the consequences, like I said, are that we push Christ away. We hold him at arm's length. We harm our own belief. You guys know the story of Peter, right? Peter is one of Jesus' closest disciples. He's the guy who steps out of the boat amidst a stormy sea and walks on the water with Jesus because he loves Jesus so much and wants to believe so badly. And, and he's the guy who rejects Jesus when Jesus is being tried before his crucifixion. How can he be both? How can he be the person who believes and struggles with his belief? Well, because he's a person. That's why. Because we all do the same thing. We all believe God great on Tuesday and then Wednesday hits and we're like, what just happened? Right? Sometimes it's even less than a day. But Peter, think about it. What does Peter do? He suffers in silence. Peter is asked three times whether or not he is a follower of Jesus. And every single time, he has the opportunity to cry out to God or to cry out to other believers and say, stand with me, be with me. He has given us each other and every time he rejects and chooses to go inward and he has to, right, as a consequence, lie about who he loves. And we'll do the same thing. We will fall in a similar way. Now, Jesus is gracious. Jesus specifically in the book of John restores Peter. We see how Jesus and Peter make it right after Jesus' resurrection because he's good, because he's loving and faithful. Again, you cannot destroy the work of Christ. His salvation is effective. So you can't get rid of it. But we can harm ourselves just like Peter did. He has given us all of these things. Don't reject them. So stop suffering in silence. Be faithful to your faithful God. Cry out to the Lord in the midst of the congregation. All of you here, this is the congregation. Cry out to God here. It is not a practice that we engage in regularly. At Grace Community Church, it is very common for people to come in five minutes before the service, ten minutes after the service has started, and leave right away when it's done. That's not a congregation. Right? That's people that you happen to share a seat next to on a given Sunday. Congregation requires interaction. You have to spend time together. And you might say, well, I'm in my, my community group, right? I have this community over here, or that community over there. That's good. Do that. But that's not enough. More people are needed. He designed the body with many members because he knows that at some point in time, we need each other for different things. So cry out to the Lord in the midst of the congregation. Remember that the Lord is our refuge. In two weeks on Easter, we're going to talk about Psalm 73 because it's clear that we have this choice to run to the rock of refuge. 
So if you want to be reading in advance, read Psalm 73. And read also Psalm 22, which talks about how Jesus has suffered just as we have suffered. Psalm 22 is called the Psalm of the Suffering Servant because this is the example that Jesus gives us. Don't suffer in silence, but let God use that suffering in your life to reach other people. He wants to use the things that are going on in your life to reach others. You probably know about Joseph being sold by his brothers into slavery. Do you remember also that Joseph, when he is made ruler over Egypt and has the opportunity to see his brothers again, says, you intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. And it's true of our suffering as well. Our enemies will intend our suffering for evil and God will use it for good. We're going to read in in, uh, 2 Corinthians in just a minute what that looks like precisely. But know that he has suffered as we have and know that he has conquered sin and death. That is why this is hope. If Jesus has not conquered sin and death, there is no hope. Stop coming to Grace Community Church. If Jesus has not conquered sin and death, but he has, so don't stop coming, just in case there was lack of clarity there. Keep coming because there is hope, because he is risen, because he is alive, because this man who lived 2,000 years ago and died also rose from the grave. That's what we believe. That's why we're here. That's a strange thing, right? You don't talk about that with most people. When you go and you order a pizza, right? You don't say, do you know that Jesus is risen? Why? Because it's strange. But it's not strange when you see the impact of the truth in your life. When you see how when you stop suffering in silence, God has provided people to love and care for you and hold you up and build you up and restore you. That's the impact of believing in Jesus. If there is no impact, then of course you're never going to share. But this is the impact when you stop suffering in silence. You know that he has conquered sin and death. And, like I said, he has ordained his body as the people and place where you can find healing and security. So one more passage. I'm going to turn over to 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to read to you um, from chapter 1 here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we see that there is a reason for our suffering. And it is that we might share with each other. You know what? I don't have to turn there because I did this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Hear what Paul is saying. He says, God has asked you to suffer because he wants you to help other people who are suffering. We have to suffer because we chose sin. But God is redeeming that. We're told to redeem the times because the days are evil. And God says, here's what that can look like. You can love one another well. You can share in each other's burdens and sufferings. And it will help other people who are suffering. So here's what I'm giving you. I am giving you this, each other. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, Paul says, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. 
Paul is not talking about light things there, right? Paul is not talking about uh, hangnails. He's not talking about a disruption in his internet service, right? Paul is talking about being beaten, abused, tortured, imprisoned, shipwrecked, left for dead. That's what Paul's talking about when he says affliction. And when he says you will also share in afflictions, that's the level of affliction he's talking about. Most of us haven't experienced anything close to that. But he says that kind of suffering, when you share that together, you are loving each other as I have loved you. And it encourages and it builds you up. So our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Right? It was significant. It was a big deal. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And some of you also feel like you have received the sentence of death in your suffering. There are things that you all are suffering right now that lead you to question whether you should continue living. They lead you to ask, how much longer do I have to live? You feel like you have received the sentence of death. Paul knows that suffering. He says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When we internalize that suffering, when we suffer in silence, it will make us feel like we should not be living at all. It will make us want to reject Jesus who gave up his life for us. But when we use what he has given us, when we cry out to God and cry out in the midst of the congregation, he is going to deliver us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again, again and again into everlasting life. So verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul is saying, here's how you do this. Live together, work together. Be a community who relies on each other because this is my plan for you. Stop suffering in silence. What does that faithfulness look like? It looks like crying out to the Lord to secure safety in the Lord. You're not going to be able to do this by yourselves or for yourselves, so stop trying. Do start crying out to God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. If you've heard that phrase, uh, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What does that mean? It means that in a culture like ours, where we are tempted to say, I'm not suffering at all, you tell people you're suffering. You risk that shame because you want them to hear the truth. You share your suffering with them so that they will know what God has done for you. So cry out to the Lord to secure safety in the Lord and do it in the midst of the congregation, both to receive help from the congregation, but also to bear witness to what God has done. Because those stories are so, so very important. God delivers us from all manner of suffering. I've told you before in this congregation how the Lord healed our daughter when she had cancer, right? He doesn't heal everybody who has cancer. Some people in this room have loved ones that have died as a result of cancer. And I know I can say that without even asking you because 40% of all people in the United States will get cancer at some point. And it's not always lethal, but that means most of you know somebody who has had cancer and most of you know somebody who has suffered through it, right? And when we tell the stories about how God bears us up, how he holds us up amidst that suffering, it brings other people to him. It's his chosen method of witness. He wants you to use this to spread the gospel and grow the kingdom. So this is my 
evidence to you of what faithfulness looks like in the midst of suffering. And if you don't believe me, read this. And if you don't, if you don't understand how to read this, ask for help. We say it almost every week, but you are always welcome to come and talk to us. I told the congregation, you guys, I'm giving you the opportunity, okay? I told 8 o'clock, I'm here. I even stood right here and I waited. Nobody came and talked to me. So come and share your sufferings. We want to know you are not being a burden. Come and share your sufferings. Share them with each other. Talk to one another. This is what God has given you for hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have given us yourself, that you have given us each other, that we can cry out to you, and that we can share, we can bear one another's burdens. Lord, help us not to despise each other and hate each other and think the worst of each other. Help us to trust you instead and that you will enable us to love one another well. Your Holy Spirit is present in this place, Lord, because we're gathered in your name. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us, strengthen us, to stop suffering in silence. Help us to love one another well, Lord, in the way that you love us, in the example that you've given us, and use these examples to grow your kingdom. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. One way that you can know each other better is by attending our membership class. It is uh, April 10th from 9.30 to 11. You can register at gracebe3.org slash events. I am intentionally not going to tell you why you should go. You should go. I'm just going to tell you that. You should find out for yourself. The burden is on you. Check it out. Um, we, we do actually want you to be more fully invested in each other. And membership is one of the ways that you can do that. By being an active member, you're going to receive different kinds of communication from us. You're going to have opportunities to interact in different ways. So we encourage everyone to check that out. Um, come to our Easter services. Invite other people to our Easter services. And consider, if you're a regular attender, coming to the April 16th service, which is Saturday night here at 5 p.m. Uh, if you came at Christmas, you know that we filled our lobby with extra chairs for people who couldn't fit in this room. And we anticipate people coming for Easter who do not regularly come. So if you're a regular attender, consider coming at 5 p.m. on the 16th, and that will help to make room in our other services. Um, also consider serving. If you go to graceb3.org slash serve1, uh, there's an opportunity for you to sign up for the different service opportunities we have on Easter. And then finally, if you are interested in missions, uh, I encourage you to talk to Ryan Miller. He'll be out in the lobby uh, just to the left as you go out the doors. He'll talk to you about what our mission trip looks like, what the requirements look like, and um, what we anticipate doing in Guatemala this year. So I encourage you to check that out and talk to Ryan. He will be just to the left of the doors as you exit. If you can, stand. I want to pray for you as I send you out this morning. Heavenly Father, I praise you for this people, this congregation. Help us to stop suffering in silence, Lord. You have given us yourself. We can give everything to you, and you've also given us each other. Help us to trust that you will use that, that sharing of our suffering to strengthen us, Lord, and to give us the hope that we have in you that we can share it with other people, that we can be comforted with the same comfort, Lord, that you gave to Paul that enabled him and Silas to sing in prison. Lord, we'll have that same comfort from you when we trust you. Help us to trust you. Help us to go out from this place willing, Lord, to share with one another our burdens, 
just in the way that you shared with us. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have a good week. Go in grace.